listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. I have been invited uh, a couple times throughout my life, uh, different stages in high school and in my adult life. And I had come a time or two, but, you know, went astray from that path as usual. And um, I thought I was on the right path. I thought things were going good. I thought job-wise, life-wise, everything was on its way upward. And it wasn't. Everything came crashing down, as it usually does. And I didn't know what to do that day or where to go or who to talk to. And I was feeling a little lonely, uh, not so loved or worthy. And my car made its way to the church parking lot on a Wednesday. And I knocked on the door. Um, The pastors have their meeting on Wednesdays. I was hoping someone would be there. And lo and behold, out comes Lori. She sits with me in the sanctuary for a while till I was calmed down and a little bit better. And after that, I was hooked. I kept coming back. (laughs) I had been here a time or two before. And when I thought back about my life and when I had last felt happiest, it was here at the church singing the songs with the people and feeling the love and the worship and Christ in the room. And the message from the sermons is really what brought me back. I was looking for that feeling again. And I will tell you, when I first came back around this most recent time, it wasn't there the first week and it wasn't there the second week. You were preaching a sermon about love and it took a while, but then I felt it in my heart and I knew I was home. Life is good. I'm full of joy. I'm full of love. I feel it everywhere. I guess I just didn't see it before. And I've learned a lot. I realized a lot about my past life. I had been worshiping different idols, as you like to call it, not the little statues, but different things in life. And when I finally came to God and the Lord and started worshiping Him, and He was my sole focus and attention for all of that stuff, everything fell into place. It finally happened. Good morning, everyone up at the mills. And I want to thank Alex Alexander Palma for sharing her story with us. I want you to notice in her story, she said that she had been invited several times. And it was after that that she finally came back and it connected. We're talking about the power of an invitation. We began by talking how Jesus was standing at the door and knocking on the outside of the door of a church, saying, will you invite me into your place because you've grown so lukewarm and you're good for nothing. You need to invite me in. And so Jesus offers himself to be invited. He asks to be invited. He asks to be invited in. But we're also talking about how people need to be invited to meet Jesus. And last week we saw how at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it was friends who were inviting friends to meet Jesus. And, and as they were doing that, there was this uh, beginning of a, of a domino effect, of a cascade effect. This, this avalanche had started among these first followers of Jesus. And it all begins when people in the scriptures that whose names we we rarely heard of after that, had invited other people, and we are still receiving, uh, are are those who have been uh, invited as a result of those initial invitations. 
Today, I, I want to talk about the fact that we make inviting somebody to meet Jesus more complicated than it needs to be. It's just not that complicated. By the way, uh, you have a little extra bonus this week with the bulletin. You'll notice there's a handout. Dave Kennard usually does that when he preaches, and I decided this week to do that because at the conclusion of our time this morning, I uh, have a little exercise for all of us to do. So f- feel free to follow along in there or follow along on the app, uh, on our, uh, our Riverside app if you have that. Um, but we're talking about the fact that an invitation to Jesus doesn't have to be complicated. There is no greater mandate than the scripture that says, go into all the world and, and tell people about Jesus, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. That's the commandment of Jesus. That's the last thing we see in the gospel of Matthew that, God, that Jesus is telling us to do, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And there's no greater joy when you get to play a part in somebody's coming to Jesus. I think there's no greater privilege and honor and no more important job that you can have. I don't care how much you get paid at the end of your week or month or every two weeks, however often, if you get a salary. I don't care how much you do. There's nothing more important that you do that's worth more than the opportunity to help somebody find Jesus. Because that has eternal consequences, eternal benefits. But I want you to know there's no one right way to do it. That's why I'm intentionally using the the phrase or the word invite in this series rather than telling. I think we're real good at telling people about Jesus, but I think there's a different nuance when when we put it in terms of inviting people to meet Jesus. You tell people, you tell somebody to do something, you invite somebody to, do, to come along with you and to share something that you are experiencing. And when the invitation to Jesus is, hi, come and meet this person that I know that has done something in my life, it's a whole lot different than you need Jesus in your life. Now, evangelism fads come and go. I've been around long enough to see many of them. In fact, when I was a new believer in the 70s, Chick Tracks were popular. If you're old enough to remember Chick Tracks, I don't know if you've seen any lately, but I don't think they would be the most effective way of uh, little cartoons that depicted people being tortured in hell uh, with all these demonic forces and Jesus coming and, you know, give them the good ticket to get out, and it's crazy. But it worked, and a lot of people came to Christ that way. I don't necessarily recommend it. But then in college, it was the four spiritual laws, campus crusades, a little more um, logical, heady uh, understanding of the gospel. Evangelism explosion came around where you ask people questions. You know, if you died today and you appeared before God and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? A great, great little formula to, to phrase a conversation around how somebody could come to know Jesus. Jesus. There were bus ministries. There were crusades. Um, you know, stadiums filled. In fact, by the way, I'm curious. I think we, we have enough people here that might be a little older. How many of you have ever been to a Billy Graham crusade? I want to see your hands. How many of you have heard of a Billy Graham or watched Billy Graham crusade? Now, I want to ask, how many of you don't know who Billy Graham is or never heard of Billy Graham? Okay. If we were in the Nexus student ministry asked that question, I, I guarantee you every hand would go up. Right? I would, I would say that people under 40-ish, 30-something probably don't know 
Billy Graham or know who he is or maybe have never heard of Billy Graham. Now, I just want you to say that he's still alive and uh, he's on the edge. He's been on the edge for a long time. He's in his 90s right now, and, uh, but the Billy Graham Association is going to go on far after, long after Billy Graham goes by the wayside. In fact, Billy Graham Association, I just found out, I didn't even know this was going on. They are doing now uh, a big evangelistic campaign called My Hope America. And uh, if you get online at myhopewithbillygram.org, you'll see all kinds of ways that you can invite somebody to download or to see a media presentation of the gospel, very well produced. And the idea is maybe invite them to your place and you watch them with, watch it with them and then you tell your story. They have a, oh, a lot of great resources. I encourage you to look that on. That's coming up in just a couple of weeks in, in November. Now, all of these evangelistic things are well and good. And, and, and it's good to have a variety of ways of telling the gospel to someone. But there's nothing more awkward than someone who comes across condescendingly with the gospel. They serve up some prepackaged, processed, formulaic sales pitch for Jesus. You know what I mean? You understand that, right? You've seen it. We've experienced it. I just think that in our culture today, that generally doesn't work very well with people. And so what I want to talk about today is how we can invite people to Jesus and how it's done best when it's natural, when it's organic, when it's just the natural outflow of an authentic relationship. Because the mandate to tell people and to spread the gospel is still there. It is still the function of the church. Our, our church mission statement is to help people find and follow Jesus. So how are we going to do that? And when I say we, I mean we. Not how's the pastor going to do that by preaching on a Sunday or how's the worship team going to attract people because of the kind of worship we do. And how are we as God's people at Riverside Community Church going to help people find and follow Jesus? That's the mandate that we have to do. So, so that's the question I'm asking today. It's done and, and it's not that complicated. It's best when it's a, a natural outflow. So, so let's glean some insights from the story in Luke chapter 4, that is all about Jesus, how he helped a woman in a very organic way to come to meet him, and then she very naturally went and invited her whole town to meet Jesus. She was the first evangelist. Before Billy Graham, there was the Samaritan woman. Let's turn to John chapter 4. Would you please do that? John chapter 4. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's a long chapter and it, is, it involves a lot of things. But I want to focus on, um, well, I'll pick up on verse 27. But let me set the scene for you. If, you. if you don't know the story, Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They're going from one part of Israel to another part of Israel, from the north to the south, I believe it is, south to the north, one or the other. But they have to go through a bad part of town. Now I say town, it's not sound that bad. When I say the bad part of town, they want to go through, they're going to go through a place where everybody else would have taken the detour or taken the, uh, the route around it. But Jesus said, no, we're going to go through Samaria, though nobody goes through Samaria. If you're a good Jew, you don't go through Samaria because we don't like those Samaritans because they're not like us, because they don't quite meet our standards, because they don't quite believe what we believe. 
And in fact, you know, they're kind of weird the way they worship. And we're, we don't feel like we're really safe if we go through that part of the country or that part of town. So we're, most Jewish people would have gone around it. Jesus goes through it. And here in the disciples, it's the middle of the day. You know, in that part of the world, it's hot, it's dry. They stop at a place called Jacob's Well, where, and it goes way back to the Old Testament. But they stop there in the, in the heat of the day, and it's lunchtime, and the disciples go into the little village trying to look for some food to come back. And Jesus said, I'm going to stay here. Well, this woman, by herself, in the middle of the day, comes out to the well to draw water, which was unusual because you usually do it in the morning or in the evening. You don't do it in the middle of the day. You usually do it with friends who come and do it with you. It's a time of socializing as well as a time of getting the needed water for the household to be able to cook that day. They didn't have faucets and sinks. They could just turn a dial or turn a button or turn a knob or whatever that is, and, and water comes out. It's, it's, they, they got a, so she's there in the middle of the day, highly unusual. She's a woman in that culture. Women and men had very clear lines that they did not cross. If you're in public, you don't talk to women. Men don't talk to women, especially women that they don't know in public. In addition, she's a Samaritan. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And all of a sudden, she comes out to draw water, and Jesus says, hey, can you get me a drink too? Crossed the lines. Boom, right then and there. It's hard for us to understand that. <clears throat> but the woman does, and then they, they start this conversation. Jesus turns the conversation into a spiritual conversation about spiritual water, that if she were to drink the spiritual water, that she would never thirst again spiritually. But uh, the woman says, I don't know about this. Jesus refers to a fact that he could tell or the spirit spoke to him. She had a life that uh, was, was even among the Samaritans who were the lowest on the totem pole of the Jewish people, she was the lowest on the totem pole of the Samaritans because this woman had been married five times, was living with somebody who wasn't her husband. She, 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 just, she had a bad rap. Whatever it was that got her to be so low, that's how low she was. And yet Jesus, unlike everybody else in her world, saw her as a human being, talked to her about her heart issues, pointed her to hope that, that she could have, identified the fact that she was a broken woman, but still considered her and esteemed her enough to carry on the conversation with her. Well, let's pick it up in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Well, did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me 
and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, and so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. What a great story. Here's the thought. Look around. Look around. Look around you. As you drive from from the mills today, as you drive from the church in Oakmont today, as you drive into work tomorrow, as you go shopping, wherever you are, wherever you go, look around. Look around. And see people. See people. Not just look at people. See people. Understand what I mean? See people as Jesus sees people. See people as people that that need the love of God. The harvest is white. The harvest is ready. I love harvest time, don't you? I mean, this time of year is so great. It's a beautiful time of year. It's, yeah, winter's coming, yeah, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, Teresa and I love to go to farmer's markets. How many of you like to go to farmer's markets? Just to help us, we got some pictures here. Don't you love those farmer's markets? Some of those are taken from the Santa Barbara Farmer's Market. We go out to visit our daughter out there. It's one of the best in the country. It's so fantastic. I love, I love, I love harvest time. Getting it directly from the farm, from the source, all natural, no preservatives, no chemicals, no hormones. And, and in my opinion, it's the best t- tasting. The point I want to make is Jesus is an organic farmer. Jesus is an organic farmer. He naturally, organically was harvesting people, not, you know, I mean, in a sense of helping people to find, find God. He uses farming here in this story as a metaphor for evangelism. And so the big question today for all of us is, how can I invite someone to Jesus most naturally or most organically? How can I? In my way and myself, and how can I be used to invite somebody to Jesus that's not some prepackaged, prefab, processed, you know, shove it down their face way of coming to Jesus? I want to know how God can use me to be a tool to invite somebody to meet Jesus. So, so follow along in your notes there if you'd like to do that. I think it begins, and we're going to try to try to make this metaphor stick for a little bit. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna do it organically, you got to get your hands dirty. Right? You've got to get your hands dirty. And by doing that, I mean be a friend with somebody. It begins with a relationship. Last week we talked about the fact that, that your relationship will be the door through which somebody meets Jesus. You are going to be that. It starts... Now, how hard is it to be friendly? Some people, I think it's pretty hard. 
I hate to say it, some Christians, some Christians don't know how to be friendly. The Bible says a friend must show himself friendly. How hard is it to take the initiative to introduce yourself to somebody, to be kind to somebody, to use common courtesy whenever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, just to be kind. I mean, we live in America with this sense of entitlement that everybody owes me and I am the king of my universe and if you don't serve that to me in two seconds, then I'm going to talk to the manager. If you don't do this for me in my way, then I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm mad because I believe that I deserve everything I want, when I want it, how I want it, and who wants it, and, and however. So we can come across so condescendingly to people and as believers... Leadership, as I see Jesus teaching leadership, it is serving. It is washing feet. It is coming underneath. It is being the one who lifts up, who builds up, who edifies. And we as believers have to begin by getting our our hands dirty. We need to be friendly. We need to build relationships. Jesus did that when he initiated. She would never have said a word to Jesus. He had to be the one to speak up when she came to the well. He's the one that asked her for a drink of water. And and what this did was several things. First of all, it expressed his humility. Jesus, God incarnate, though she didn't know it at the time, presents himself to her as somebody who's thirsty, somebody that has needs. Somebody that's just like her. Somebody that's at the well in the middle of the day that normally wouldn't be there. I'm on your ground. I'm on your territory. I'm I'm equal with you. He comes to her and says, please, can I have a drink too? And, and And expressing his vulnerability, he crossed over to her territory and he broke through those invisible barriers. That's why it says they were shocked to find him talking to the woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want? Why are you talking to her? Bill Hybels wrote a book called Just Walk Across the Room, and he tells a story about a guy at a party who who was standing around with all his friends, and he looked over across the room, and he saw a guy standing there by himself. He could tell it was awkward, so he excused himself from his group of friends, his clique of friends, and he just walked over, and he introduced himself to that guy. And what that did, he just began a conversation, just began a friendship, and out of that, they, they, they continued to meet, And the man who was a Muslim, because of his friendship with this guy who was just willing to walk across the room and introduce himself to that guy, eventually met Jesus through this man. It's it's as simple as walking across the room, Heibel says. You You gotta get your hands dirty. You gotta, he calls it leaving your comfort zone and entering into the zone of the unknown. It's a little intimidating to talk to somebody you don't know. But come on, how hard is it to be friendly? Let's just let's, let's not worry about crossing the end line with them and getting them on their knees and confessing Jesus the first time you say hi to them. Let's just begin by saying hi to them, introducing yourself and listening to them. I see, I see Lori do this all the time. Lori's up at the mills this morning and, 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 and Brugger's is our place to meet people. I think that Lori knows everybody in Oakmont because that's her... That's her place to meet people. And nobody knows as many people over there as Laurie. And everybody knows Laurie. Why? Because she's friendly. You know it here. 
the same way that she sets a tone in here in hospitality. She does it over there. People that never darken the doors of this church, she knows their names, she knows what's going on in their life, and they see her, they meet her. And when Alex came here, it was Lori that talked to her when she was in that situation, that desperate situation. Why? Because she's friendly. She's friendly. You say, well, but I'm not wired like Lori Lassoon. Well, you can be friendly. Come on. Be courteous. Common courtesy. It's amazing that evangelism is simple as taking a walk, and those steps can result in extraordinary circumstances. And think about this. When you talk about someone walking across the room, God took a walk across the vast cosmos when he became man. Jesus delivered God's invitation for you so that you can know God and know what God is like and know what God is all about. That God is all about redeeming broken people, reaching out to the outcast, correcting ills in society, and healing a broken world. And how do we know that? Because, because Philippians chapter 2 says that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he became one of us. God walked across the room, across the cosmos to introduce himself to you. Can you not just walk across the room and say hi to somebody? How are you? My name's Bill. What's yours? Nice to meet you. Be friendly. Be friendly. When Christians in the workplace are the most miserable people, it is the worst testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Christians are the, are the most judgmental and the most angry people, it is a terrible testimony to the gospel. I'm shocked at some of the things I see online that Christians are doing, thinking that they are doing something good when all they're doing is spewing anger and hatred, whether it be politics or whether it be those people or whatever. It is the worst testimony to the gospel that I see. I believe it. I believe it. So, God, you got to get your hands dirty. Get out there. Jesus went to the woman caught in adultery. He walked over to her. He didn't condemn her. He, didn't, he offered her a brand new life. He offered her a life of freedom. And our primary mission is to do the same. We are called to serve people and to point them to faith in Jesus Christ. We are not here to condemn the world. If Jesus wasn't, who do we think we are? If Jesus wasn't here to condemn the world... Who do we think we are? We are here to redeem a broken world and help people that are lost to find Jesus. We need to develop friendships with the same spiritual goals in mind that Jesus had. Rather than avoid our neighbors, we need to see them as those for whom Christ died. We need to believe that old things can be made new. We need to know that the fallen can be restored, that the derelict can become a disciple. And that is the person that might live across the street from you, the person that might work in the, in the booth next to you. What is it that matters most to you? The mind of Christ focused on one thing, and it was people. People who faced a Christless eternity. And they have to consume our mind as well. If we really believe that God can redeem and transform a person's life, then we need to do all that we possibly can to connect people to Jesus. 
And introducing people to Jesus should be life's supreme mission. It is Jesus' supreme mission. It is the most important thing that we can do as God's, as the body of Christ on earth today. No task is more important, nor is it more rewarding when you see somebody come to Christ. When the light finally goes on, as Alex talked about in her story. Someone walked across the room to introduce you to Jesus, and it might have been your parents who took you to church when you were a kid, but somewhere along the line, the light went on for you. It, 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 it happens, and it can happen instantly. It can happen progressively, but the light eventually goes on for you. And so, and so in organic and natural, an organic and natural invitation to Jesus begins by getting your hands dirty. But the longer we are Christians, the more insulated to those uh, we are to those that don't know Jesus. The more isolated we become because we, like I talked about last week, we surround ourselves with Christian activities and Christian people. So we need to be more proactive the longer we are believers to get outside of our clean, sterile, insulated little circle of friends and get your hands dirty and get to meet new people. So, first thing, get your hands dirty, be a friend. Second thing, sharpen your tools. And, and the, the, the one tool I want to talk about right now is your listening tool. You've got to listen to the Spirit and you've got to listen to their story. Listening in two directions. Listen in two directions. Notice, earlier on in verse 13 of chapter 4, John says, anyone who drinks, or Jesus said, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus discerned that this woman came in the heat of the day because of her situation, as I mentioned earlier. And he, and he sensed the Spirit's promptings inside of him to talk to that woman, to cross the lines. And our highest value as Christ followers is to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 said that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we shall bear witness to Jesus wherever we are. We shall be able to tell people wherever we are about what Jesus has done. And, 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 and Galatians 5.25 says, keep in step with the Spirit. Let the fruit of the Spirit continue to be developed, developed in your life and, and constantly be listening to the Spirit. So what does that mean? That means that, that means that I walk when He prompts me to walk. I talk when He prompts me to talk. I fall silent when I'm, when I'm at risk of saying too much. And, and, and I just stay put when He tells me to stay put. Some people believe that every conversation is unsuccessful in it unless it, 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 it gets that person to pray a prayer of salvation. I mean, that would be great, wouldn't it, if every kind of spiritual conversation ends with the person you know, praying and, and inviting Christ into their life. But you know it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. As Alex said, I was invited several times. I'd been here before, and it didn't stick. I went away, I went away, and then I was at a place where I remembered where I was most happy, and I came back. It took, a, it took time for her, for it to stick. I want you to know that the Bible says, and Jesus says here, some people plant and some people harvest. One plants, one waters, God gives the increase. We all have a part, and, and sometimes you may be the one that's there to pick the fruit to lead that person to come to Christ, 
But maybe you're just planting a seed. Maybe you're just watering a seed that was already planted. Maybe you're a part of getting them from hating Christians to at least liking somebody who's a Christian and knowing somebody who's a Christian. That's progress. That's progress. Just even getting them to know somebody who's a Christian who's not out to condemn them and judge them, but to treat them as a human being and to care about them. That moves them closer to Jesus. I hope you to know, I want you to know that. That's what getting dirty does. It moves them to Jesus. But then you listen to the Holy Spirit. But then you need to listen to their story. You see, you can never build a bridge with someone unless you cross over to their side of the bridge and understand what it's like on their side of the bridge. And you can't understand what their life is like without listening to them. You earn the right to tell your story by first listening to their story. I listen to their words, I, but, but listen deeper than just their words. Listen to their, to their heart. Listen to their hurt. Listen to their hopes. Listen to their fears. Get in their world and put yourself in their shoes and say, you know what, if I was raised in their environment, I probably would see the world the same way they see the world. I would think the way they think and I would have done the things they did. Until you can fully get into their world, you cannot build a bridge to your world. You cannot build a bridge to Jesus without first understanding them. That's what cross-cultural communication is. And you don't have to go across the ocean to to cross cultures. You, you, sometimes you cross the street and you're in a different culture because that person was raised in a different family than you were raised. And we need to do that. And when you listen, don't listen past the person. You, you notice how politicians talk past each other. They don't talk to each other. They talk past each other to the voter. They don't talk to each other. We, we're so frustrated with that in our country. And we listen past people. We're not listening to them. We're listening. They're saying, you know, they're like the, the teacher in uh, uh, Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. You know, they're talking to us, but we're not hearing them because we're too quick to think about what we want to say. We, we don't listen to them. We're just trying to figure out how can, how can I convince them? How can I tell them? I want them to know my story. And until you listen to their story, you don't have the open door to walk through to tell your story. <clears throat> Once you've heard their story, be sensitive to the possible next steps that you can take to bring them closer to Christ. And when you get beneath the surface issues to the heart issues, your spiritual radar will prompt you to, 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 to point them to something that you... And you might just want to say, can I say a simple prayer? Can I, can I encourage you? Can I... Can I, can I tell you that, that there's better way for you, that God has a better plan for you? You might be the single flame in someone's dark night to remind them that there is a God who created them, who loved them, and who yearns to relate with them, starting from right where they are. And you, most do, that, you do that most naturally and organically when you... When you when you become a friend, when you get your hands dirty, when you cross, walk across the room, when you listen, listen. And then, and then here's the last thing I want to talk about this morning is when the time is ripe, you need to tell your story. Notice I said, when the time is ripe, you need to tell your story. Notice in the story that we read who the real evangelist is. 
The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And I imagine all the people down at Three Rivers Stadium at the last Billy Graham crusade streaming down the aisles to the front to, to invite Jesus into their lives. And it's like I see these people streaming out to the well because this woman was the preacher that day who convinced them that Jesus could be the Messiah. So they needed to hear him. They needed to see him. It said many Samaritans believed Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything I ever did. And then he, stood, he stayed with them and they said, now we believe not just because of what you said to the lady, but because we've heard ourselves. What did this woman do? Had she gone to Bible college? Did she have a seminary degree? Was her theology correct? Did she know everything there was to know about Jesus? Absolutely not. What did she know? She knew that Jesus knew her better than anybody else knew her. And he treated her with dignity and respect. And he knew that he knew things. She knew that he knew things that nobody else knew. He must be the Messiah. She just knew her story. That's, she witnessed, she testified to what she knew and what she experienced and what she saw. It's not that complicated. It's not complicated. And she realized that her story was part of a bigger story. And that's the key, is linking your story to the grand story of the gospel. What Jesus did for me, Jesus can do for you. Jesus can do for anybody. Jesus is who Jesus claims to be. And you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. What happens when somebody asks you, why do you go to church? Why are you so fired up about God? Why, are you, why do you do this? Are you ready to give an answer when somebody asks you why you're a Christian? It says in 1 Peter that we are to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But notice he qualifies. It says, do it with gentleness and respect. Give a reason for the hope that you have. That's, so, so that's your story. That's your story. Those are the moments that you need to be ready to tell your story. When somebody asks you, do it with clarity, do it with sincerity, and do it simply and easily. In other words, you should be able to do it in 45 seconds. You should be able to tell your story. You should have an elevator speech, really, of what Jesus, what your story is. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn out, uh, um, you know, you don't need to tell them your novel. (laughs) You need to tell them a quick review of your story. So, So three minutes or less, you should be able to tell them. Now, many stories are too fuzzy. You need to be simple. You don't need to go down all the plot lines of your life. Just keep it moving in one direction and try not to be too religious. And definitely don't come across with an air of superiority. Do it with gentleness and respect. Don't make your story overly dramatic, but it's simply, this is the past, this is my past, this is what Jesus means to me, and this is what he's done in my life now. This is what my life is like now. Three parts to a story. What it was before, the fact that you made a decision to follow Christ, and what's the difference he's made in your life. So you need to work on your story. You need to hone it. You need to 
and you'd be amazed at how God can use it. So that's what I want to conclude with right now. In those handouts that I gave you, and some of you might not have them because we didn't print enough for everybody, but you're welcome to share somebody's. What was the woman's story? He told me everything I ever did. What a gospel presentation that is, huh? It wasn't four spiritual laws. It wasn't uh, the, the big questions of life. It, it, it wasn't, you know, you're going to burn in hell for all of eternity if you don't repent and ask Jesus to come into your life. He, did, he told me everything I ever did. We want to know this guy who knows everything that we all know about you that he didn't know. We want to know this guy who, in spite of your reputation, made a difference in your life because they could see the difference immediately in her. What's your story? I like the story in John chapter 9. Jesus heals a blind man, and then they go in through all this big story about, you know, was he a sinner? Who did it? It did on Sabbath, the Pharisees, yada, yada, yada. And the guy, you know, he said, you know, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. Do you want to be his disciples too, he said, to those who were antagonistic. All I know, I was blind, but now I see. So here's the three parts to your story, and I want you to do this right now. Grab a pen, grab a pencil, or begin to do it right now. Because I have a feeling if you don't do it now, it won't be done. This is, this, is, this is getting it done. Right now, I want you, what words describe you before you met Jesus? In other words, what adjectives, what phrases describe you? It might, you might say, I was lost. I was searching. I was so full of myself. I was so addicted to stuff, to drugs, to alcohol, to sex, to religion, to food, to, to shopping, to whatever. I was, I, I was just, you know, before that, I was a religious person, but I didn't have a relationship. I, I was running from God. I was angry at the world. I was hurting. I was insecure. Whatever it is that you can use, and don't overthink it. Don't be too complicated. What was that you can remember? You say, well, I accepted Jesus when I was five years old. You know, before that, I wouldn't share my toys. You know, but, you know, I think we all have coming to Jesus moments in life. Whereas we grow older, we know Jesus more and he changes us. So go back to those times when you were at that point before a a step of maturity in your faith and your walk. And then the next thing is, what does Jesus mean to you? What makes Jesus inviting to you? What makes Jesus inviting to you? He treats me. He knows me. My, what... You all know my Jesus story. I say it over and over again, and if I start it, I'll bet you can finish. The one who knows me best loves me the most. That's what Jesus means to me. That's how I put it. Uh, you know, I realized that, that I wanted approval from this person and from that person. I wanted to, but I realized that the approval I really needed was God's. And I realized that he knew me best, all the good, bad, and ugly, and he loved me most. And so what did that do? Then the last thing is, what words describe you since you decided to follow Jesus? What difference has Jesus made since you've decided to follow him? He might say, now I'm at peace. I see other people differently. I realize I'm part of a bigger plan. I'm free. I'm forgiven. I'm becoming a better person. I'm hopeful. I'm whatever. However you can put that down. 
I notice a lot of you aren't doing this right now, and it bothers me to see that. (laughs) I'm trusting that you have it going on in your head. Because if you don't, if you can't do this, then you're going to miss some wonderful opportunities to be inviting for somebody to meet Jesus. So take this. Work on this. Hone it. If you want a copy of it, put it out there. we'll, We'll put it available. Maybe we'll get it on the Riverside Facebook page and you can look at it there. So, it's not that complicated. It's natural. It's organic. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, I thank you that there was a time in my life when I thought I knew you, but I only knew about you. Thank you, Jesus, that you met me there. I I didn't even know at that time that I needed you, but I I realized that you were knocking on the door of my heart. And, And I remember Jesus saying, I need you. Accept me. Come into my life. Help me to follow you. Forgive me for my selfishness. Forgive me for my self-righteousness. Forgive me for my, all those things that you know that nobody else knows. Come into my life, Jesus. And you did. You did. And it, it changed me. I, I went from an angry, hot-tempered person to somebody that was at peace. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Help us, Jesus, to remember what you've done and to be able to tell others. Pray for anybody here or at the mills that today maybe they're hearing an invitation to Jesus themselves. Today's a day for them to to say, Jesus, I'm like that woman. Nobody knows the stuff that I've been doing, where I've been, what I'm all about, but you do. And I believe that you don't want me to stay that way. You want me to change, and I need your help. So Jesus, come into my life and help me, because I can't do it myself. Please forgive me. I want to follow you. I want to change, and I need you to help me do that. So Holy Spirit of God, come into my life today, I pray. I want to be a follower. I believe it because other people tell me, but now I want to believe it for myself. I need you, Jesus. Amen.